This is Grayscale. I'm Ben Davis. We're going to mix it up a little bit today. Normally I'd interview somebody else, but today I'm going to bring you a different story. The story that started all of this. My own story. And joining me today will be Camille Fleming, fellow faculty member at Swedish First Hill Family Medicine Residency. And as always, names are changed to predict the identity of our patients. This is a story about Carl. So at our program, as you know now, uh, we inherit a new patient panel our R2 year. And the provider, the R3 who is graduating, normally I would get her panel as kind of a, a rising R2, but she stayed on at the clinic, at the public health clinic that I worked at to um, keep working. So she held on to her panel. So I ended up getting this kind of checks mix bag of patients that were put together. And in one of those, one of those patients was Carl. And I already knew about Carl before he came to my patient panel because he was one of those kind of mythical figures you have at every, every clinic. One of those patients that everybody hears about, but you never see, um, or you see them passing in the hallway and you're like, is that, is that so-and-so? And so that, that was Carl. He was in the, the pantheon of mythical clinic patients. He had end-stage renal disease um, and really bad hypertension, and he never took his medications. But that's not why he came to my panel. He came to my panel because he was very difficult, <laughs> to, to put it bluntly. Uh, he got into fights with many providers, and it was just time for a breath of fresh air or to throw him to another lamb that he could devour. But me, I was, I was confident. I, I wasn't confident. I was cocky. I, I was like, I can handle this. Like I am very smooth. I am a, just a, a suave guy overall. I can win him over. And so I looked forward to it. I was like, this is a challenge that I'm totally going to, going to prove my worth to everybody here in the clinic. Uh, so I met him for the first time, and I had this big laundry list of things I wanted to get done with him, and he wasn't having any of it. He, um, <laughs> the only thing he wanted was for me to clip his toenails, and he would not let me discuss anything else or address the fact that his systolic blood pressure was over 200 every time that I saw him. And it looked so bad. And then it was a little bit of an ego thing, too, because here's my patient coming in with out-of-control blood pressures every time. Like, obviously, the provider is doing something wrong. So uh, we, we fought. We, we fought that time. And the one thing I thought we wouldn't do is we ended up fighting. Um, and... It was it was unpleasant, but we we got through the visits, and I ended up I of course clipped his toenails, and that was enough for him to become a repeat patient for me. Like well, he got what he wanted, he want, he got his clipped toenails, so he'd come back and see me, and so and that was our compromise. I don't actually, I guess that was a compromise. It didn't really feel like a compromise at the time to me, but in retrospect, it definitely was. And so then I saw him a second time, and. Um, I clipped his toenails again, and that's all we did again. And th this continued 
for a couple of visits and like it was it was annoying for me it was it was a pride issue for a number of reasons one because here am I the second year resident doctor I'm supposed to be you know mastering my patient panel and all my patients have to be meeting all of their goals of care that I want them to have and this was this patient who was just having none of it and at some point along the way in second year I I gave gave up in a way I I um I said you know I'm I'm not going to try to address his blood pressure or the fact that he misses dialysis all the time because I used to tell him all these things, you know, all the warning signs, you're going to have a stroke, heart attack, because this is a guy in his 40s, and he had, you know, if you just looked at him from the outside in, you'd say, oh, he has many years to go, but I, looking at him from the inside out, you know, based off of his labs and his, his vital signs, I, I didn't feel that way. And so all the, all the things that the scare tactics that I would try to use uh, to scare him never ended up working, so I, I figured I would just give up on them. And I felt defeated in a way, but it was weird in that uh, kind of defeat. I, I felt a sense of peace that, you know, I, I'm okay with this patient doing whatever they want um, and wanting their own goals of care to be met and not my own goals of care for them. And another thing that I had to get over was the fact that my notes were so damn short. <laughs> it's because uh, it looks so bad every time someone would look at one of my notes. And my notes are not usually that lengthy to begin with, but these are some really brief notes. I've now known after this incident, or not incident, but after this uh, experience, I now know to just write more of what my patients are saying so that it at least looks like I had a meaningful conversation with them. But the notes were incredibly short, which was also frustrating for me. But in that moment of, you know, what, was, what I perceived to be defeat at that time, something changed where we started getting along more like before we were not getting along. Cause I had my own agenda. He had his own agenda and we just, we fought and fought and uh, I, you know, from my perspective caved in, but I, once I was fine with that, we started having really great visits and we would have these set topics that we would always talk about. And one of those things would be clothing. Um, now, like Carl had this, he had this weird sense of style. He um, he reminded me of a member of a tribe called Quest. But then on like another day, he could totally look like a hipster from Seattle. And I would often make fun of him because he would bring in uh, the numerous Walkman. Like nobody carries one Walkman anymore. And this was not a hipster thing where he was trying to be cool. Like he just owned several, several, several Walkmen. And when they would break, you would just find more somehow. Um, it's like he raided every uh, 1990s teenager's locker <laughs> in high school. And so uh, we would talk about that a lot. And then he, he would make fun of me a lot too because I, I had a pink shirt that I still wear. And I would wear that to clinic and he would definitely give me a hard time for that. But it was all in good fun. So we'd talk about music and we talk about clothes a lot. And we just kept doing that. It was just cutting his toenails, talking about clothes, namely his clothes, but uh, and then talking about you know what he was listening to that day. 
and how the hell he ended up with the particular Walkman that he had in front of him for that day. And, um, you know, eventually I felt like I was starting to break through because these visits, even though we didn't address any of the, the things that is on his huge problem list, it felt like there was a connection and that, that was, that was meaningful. And, you know, then I tried my hand at addressing his problems again, uh, on his problem list. And so, you know, you know, several visits in when we're making this connection, I decided to talk to him about his dialysis and his high blood pressure again. And he still wasn't having it. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, but it didn't feel like a defeat at that point. It felt like a conversation, which I think was a win overall. And this went on, you know, all throughout third year of residency where we would We'd kind of shoot the breeze. I would talk about his blood pressure and his missing of dialysis, and he would, you know, kind of nod and like half dismiss it. But it was it was good enough for me that we were having a little bit of a, a two way encounter. So fast forward uh, to the end of third year. This was a week before I was supposed to graduate, and I was hanging out with a friend, and I got a page. And I wasn't in clinic. I was I was doing something else that wasn't even on campus. And I remember getting the page. Uh, one of the nurses said, uh, it's about Carl. Can you please call me back? So I called her back, and she said that Carl was in the hospital, and he wanted to see me, um, and he only wanted to see me, and uh, he had a stroke. And he, I, was, I remember hearing that, and I was just totally floored. Like, this thing, this boogie monster that I've been advertising for, for the good part of two years that... You know, I thought could be a possibility, but I don't think I've ever had a patient up until that point have that bad of an outcome, which was something that I foresaw or at least warned about, you know, occur. So in a way, it was this weird. It it was like your worst nightmare coming true, but. You know, you don't really celebrate that your worst nightmare came true. It's just an, still an awful thing. It doesn't matter if it was predicted or you foresaw it. It's still just an awful thing. So then I saw him at the hospital uh, the next day. I called him, and he said he wanted me to, to come visit him, which was a huge honor for me. This is a guy who didn't want to see anybody at any time, and this was him asking for me by name to come visit him in you know, this strong man's weakest moment. So I visited him the next day, and um, you know he he didn't have good use of his left side, but he still had some use, which was encouraging. But he was he was a completely different guy. He said he was saying all the things that I I thought I wanted to hear before, which is I'm going to take my medications now. I know how important it is. You know, I'm a new man from now on. Like, I, I'm going to get my act together. And normally, I think myself two years prior would have loved to hear that. That would have been an ultimate victory. But to me, it was just, it felt bad. And it felt not even bittersweet. It just felt bad that it took this type of event to, to create this type of change. And then, of course, then I reflect back and say, maybe... Maybe I should have been more forceful. Um, maybe I shouldn't have backed off when I kept on talking about strokes and heart attacks 
and taking his medication. And maybe it was a bad thing that I tried to be his friend. Maybe I should have been content in him leaving my patient panel, but at least knowing what could potentially happen if he he didn't heed my advice. But um, what outcome do you think might have happened if you had been more forceful? You know, looking at it objectively, I don't think anything would have really changed. I maybe have delayed, you know, the the end outcome. But I think at that time, I at least thought, well, if he took his medications, his blood pressure wouldn't be, you know, two hundred five over one fifteen every time I saw him, and it might be a little bit more reasonable and. Do you yeah. think he would have called and asked for you? No. And in the end, that was the thing that I took away most was, even though this was this really bad thing that happened, we made this real connection that I think was ultimately much, much more powerful and meaningful than, you know, listening to your doctor's orders. I, I think in the end I was okay with that bad outcome. And to me it was, it was right before graduating, I think I finally learned that it's okay for bad things to happen sometimes and bad things do happen. And it's, it's, it's the relationships that you encounter along the way. And, you know, the ability to, to be there with another human being when they're going through something difficult is just as potent as trying your best to avoid that bad outcome. What would you tell the R2 who was going to pick him up? Hmm. I would say... Skip the f- the first couple of visits that I had and go straight to cutting his toenails. So uh, that's actually not the end of the story. <laughs> so Carl is the reason I made this podcast. And so I heard I was in clinic precepting um, at the same public health clinic a year later. And the same nurse who paged me that day was right next to me. And she said, oh, by the way, I heard from Carl. He called. And uh, I, this, I haven't heard from him for a year. I thought he could be dead. He could be anywhere in the world. I, I don't know where he could be. Um, and he told me when he was, when we were in the hospital, I'm going to move back with my family, which is kind of on the other side of the state. And uh, he did that. He actually moved back with his his family on the other side of the state. And apparently he's still in rehab, but doing well and taking his medication. He actually called for a refill on one of the medications. actually, <laughs> um, Because his, his doctor, there's some mix up with the refill. So he really wanted to get his medication. And so he, he called our clinic to get the refill. So that I, that's actually, I didn't even think about that. It's, it's pretty mind blowing to to hear about him from afar, but he's doing well, it sounds like.
Grayscale is produced by Ben Davis. Special thank you to Camille Fleming for listening to my story today. And as always, a big thank you to our patients for helping enrich our lives through shared experiences. I'd like to think somewhere Carl's listening to this on his Walkman. And I still look good in that pink shirt. Afrocentric living is a big shrug.